Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an exciting edition of Training Unleashed. Just a little bit of a tip here. We're going to be talking about Indiana Jones today, so it should be a lot of fun. Before we get started, I want to thank my sponsors, C-Suite Radio, C-Suite TV. Without them, I couldn't do the show. Really appreciate them. Uh, today, I have Nancy Murphy. She is the founder and CEO of CSR Communications. Nancy, what in the world does Indiana Jones have to do with your topic, which is change management and successful change in business. Wow, Evan, you just dive right into. <laughs> oh yeah, we're going to go right just to dive it. Dive right into the conversation. I love it. So, well, first of all, I'm going to say that our topic today is change leadership, which is different from change management, and we can talk about that as well. Please. And so, how does Indiana Jones relate to change leadership? Because organizational change means humans need to change, right? Organizations are made up of people and people are messy emotional beings. So they need to be led, not managed. And one of the things that often gets in the way of successful change are what we at CSR Communications call artifacts right? All those little things we leave behind when we move forward with change that tell us who and what we value, what matters, and how things really get done around here. And often they conflict with the change we want. So like Indiana Jones, we must go on a quest, an archaeological dig to find those artifacts, unearth them, and replace them with ones that support the change we're leading. I like that. I like that. It's interesting you talk about change because in training, I always use this term, which is harder to unlearn than it is to learn. Yes. Do you see that and experience that in organizations? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, really any kind of change is hard. I often though see where if people have entrenched assumptions and beliefs, based on some way they've been taught to do something, right? And those assumptions and beliefs are implicit versus explicit. Like we don't put them on the table and challenge them. Then it's even harder to get people to work differently, to behave differently. So in some ways, the great resignation that we're seeing, you know, the wave of Gen Z coming into organizations, I think is very unsettling for some people like, oh my gosh, now we need to train people over and over and over again. There's all this turnover. 
But in other ways, think about it. It's a fresh start, right? So you might be able to teach people, particularly those younger people coming into your organization for the first time, how you would like them to do X, Y, Z inside your organization. So yes, absolutely easier to learn something than to unlearn because we get really locked in to those things that we now maybe associate with our identity because it's the way we've always done them. Yeah. I can't wait to talk to you about generations because one of my favorite topics. Mm. Before we get into that, you've coined a word, entrepreneurship. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did, Evan. And what is that? Intrapreneurship. These are the unsung heroes of organizational change, our intrapreneurs, right? They're the internal change agents. They're the ones leading change, doing the small strategic sustained action that makes organizational change stick. So like entrepreneurs who go outside organizations or systems to disrupt, right? They do it from the outside, but they have innovation, uh, an innovative mindset, sort of that disruptive spirit. Intrapreneurs do those same things. They have innovative mindset, disruptive uh, kind of culture in their brains, but they change organizations from within. I love the new word. I love it (laughs) because I I do think that innovation is much more difficult inside an organization than it is from a fresh perspective, fresh startup, getting back to unlearning. So, you know, naming it, I think, inspires it. So, uh, cool name. So, I know that your key of what you talk about is how do you make change effective? Because a lot of companies try change and they fail. Uh, and I think there are tons of statistics on it, but most mergers do not succeed. Mm. Um, lots of companies try to make changes and they're unsuccessful then there are some companies that are exceptionally good at it. What are the keys? What are the characteristics? What are the things that people need to look at to make change be successful in their organization? Well, I think first of all, let's stop talking about managing change because that implies that change is something that is predictable, controllable, linear, logical, right? That you're just in in certain stages um, for X amount of time. And if you just have the right checklists and processes, everything's gonna be easy peasy. And let's go back to what I said earlier, which was organizations are made up of people. People are messy, emotional humans. And especially when it comes to change, there are psychological triggers that make change hard. So we can't manage people. We can manage things, but we can't manage people. We need to lead people. And so the first mistake oftentimes organizations make is approaching change from a purely scientific process as if it's this controllable, linear, logical, predictable thing. And implementation of change might have some of those checklists and processes and things, right? But we really need the change leadership first. The second thing is, appreciating the emotional aspects of change. I think we're seeing this a lot in the last couple of years, right? Where change fatigue inside organizations is very quickly becoming change revolt. 
And that's because the emotional components of that have not been fully addressed or um, attended to by our leaders. So how do we understand the psychological triggers that make change hard and do what we can to minimize them? How do we look at what's beneath and behind resistance and use resistance to make the change stronger, to eliminate blind spots, to maybe slow things down a little if we have control over that, right? So let's switch from managing change to leading change and understanding and addressing all of those emotional components. That will lead to more effective change. What you're saying that I, I really like is that you're saying is that there has to be a buy-in, there has to be an emotional understanding, and it's not just the action of doing, but it is, I mean, I'll say this, you didn't say this, but treating people with respect and valuing that they are part of the process. I'm going to, because this is very interesting, and I think something our, our audience cares a lot about, because in training, and, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but training is a very important part of any kind of change action. Nice. Um, but what I'd love to have you do, if you could, is share a case study of a real customer or client. And, and I don't care about the name of the customer, and I don't care even what business they're in. So we don't, you know, you don't need to say well, it was this company or that company, because, you know, I have a lot of clients that, uh, in my consulting business that, you know, they wouldn't care for me to share their names. <laughs> but, but I think sort of like, this is what we found in the company. This is what their desire to do was. And this is how we all made it work. Um, you know, some, something of that nature. I know I'm putting a little bit on the spot, but I, I, I've talked to you enough to know in our pre-interview that you, you can handle it. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, so let me give you a couple of kind of tight examples that will highlight some different components of what we've talked about. So we worked with a global nonprofit organization that was struggling to retain women leaders. And so women would get to a certain, a lot of the staff in this organization were women. A lot of the, most of the senior leadership team uh, were men. Women would get to a certain level inside the organization, they would about to get promoted and they would leave. So the organization started a mentoring program and appointed a gender council to advise the CEO. These things probably sound familiar to some of our listeners. Those weren't working. We came in with our proprietary artifacts excavation process and a couple of things that we unearthed. So these will be good examples of some of those things that send subtle signals, right? That are in conflict with what you say your goal is. So just a couple of the things we uncovered. The start of every staff meeting included shout outs that all sounded something like, Evan, huge thanks to you and your entire team for working around the clock last week on that big proposal. Or leadership, executive leadership team meetings that were at 7.30 in the morning. So the subtle signals that these women were getting were that, whoa, to be an executive in this organization means I have very little control over 
how many hours I work, what time I start my work day. And that's going to conflict with my ability to meet my family obligations and my professional obligations. And the best part to fix those things, right, didn't cost a dime or require any special authority. You just change what we often call glory stories, right? What are those things we celebrate in our organizations? Those send signals as to what matters and what we value. So you can change the stories. You can change the, the shout outs. So instead of, hey, Evan, huge thanks to you and your entire team for working around the clock last week on that big proposal, it could be, hey, Evan, congratulations to you and your team for deciding not to go after that proposal because it was going to mean you had to work around the clock. And you put in place a new process instead that gives us an earlier signal when those RFPs are coming out so that we don't have to have a crunch time, right? So you can ce celebrate different things. Not that every once in a while there won't be a need to work around the clock, but when it's every week, that's what's getting celebrated, you can see it sends a mixed signal. Definitely can see it sends a mixed signal. And, and for, for the record, speaking for myself, as a man, I don't want to work around the clock either. No, of course not. Of course <laughs> yeah. not. It's just different kinds of pressures, right? Different no, kinds of pressures. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I... I, I think you're, you know, you're, you're highlighting an important thing because what management rewards and acknowledgement is a huge impact on what people do. Uh, and it's sometimes very hard for people to, to make those changes. Uh, and I'm going to use this as a great way to pivot um, because generations make a diff big difference in the workplace. And, you know, I'm a baby boomer. And, and people that watch, to listen or watch the show, know I talk about Bewitch all the time. And in, in <laughs> Bewitch, the character Darren works for Larry Tate. And whatever Larry says, he does, which includes working around the clock, crazy things, unbelievable things that no one in their right mind would ever do. But because Larry asked, Darren would not dare question it. And um, the younger generations, though, are quite different. And you were mentioning something to me in the pre-work, which I thought was profound, which is Gen Z is graduating college this summer. So why don't you share your insights on younger generations and in the impact and change that they are having and will continue to have in the workplace? Yeah, we're doing a lot of work with organizations right now on the implications for Gen Z coming into the workplace in a significant way, really for the first time this summer and then exponentially growing, right? And so there are lots of ways that Gen Z is going to change our organizations. And I think for the better. So number one, they have very different expectations when it comes to communication, frequency of interaction with their supervisor or manager. Right. So as training professionals, think about how do you maybe need to train supervisors and managers differently in terms of how they should um, expect to interact with their employees and how are they scheduling check ins and what kind of listening skills and communication skills do they need to have? What are we taking off their plates so they have time for more of that interaction? Right. Secondly, Gen Z has a very high expert expectation that their employers will invest 
in their training and professional development. So good news, training professionals. <laughs> There's going to be more demand for what you can offer and what you deliver. Now, the challenge becomes for you, is your organization willing to invest in your team to be able to deliver that training to meet that expectation? The other area where they're going to have huge impact, the third area is around expectations for social and environmental commitments and practices, diversity and inclusion, equity in the workplace, and so those are also areas of training when it comes to maybe different work practices and policies and things. And if organizations can't meet those demands or those expectations, we know what the talent acquisition challenges are right now, what right, the people challenges are right now, right? So these folks, more so than when millennials graduated from college with similar value sets, right? They, these folks are going to have their choice for where to go in the workplace. And at the same time, some experts are predicting that in 2023, which I know, God help us, is next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't believe it. That we may actually have for the first time more freelancers in the workplace than traditional employees. And that is definitely true with Gen Z has a very entrepreneurial spirit. Lots of them want to start their own companies or their own organizations. So I think we're seeing lots of churn in the, on the horizon in the very near future inside our workplaces. And that's going to call on training and learning and development professionals to not only deliver training differently and deliver different training, but also be change agents themselves inside their organizations so that you can convince leadership, right, to adapt to the way, to the needs of this new generation of workers. Tortle Training's Learning Matter experts are passionate about designing effective solutions that move the needle. Whether your organization needs development of e-learning courses, instructor-led training, or assistance with creating optimized electronic versions of employee handbooks, our team can help. To learn more, visit tortle.com slash learning dash development. So from a purely acceptance of change point of view, mm. do you see Gen Z and younger uh, millennials uh, being more receptive and more willing to change or harder to change? So I'm always a little cautious to make, you know, sort of wide sweeping generalizations when it comes to change, because even those of us who like to proclaim, oh, I'm so open to change. I love change. I'm all about change, right? And I work with a lot of leaders who describe themselves that way. They're these entrepreneurs, right? Inside organizations. We all have some area of our lives, I guarantee you, where we are resistant to change or less open to change. So that said, Gen Z has experienced more change in their young lifetimes than probably anyone else. The pace of change is accelerating and will never again be as slow as it is today. So if you if you think you're freaked out by how much is changing and how fast things are changing today, whoo, buckle in because it's only going to 
get faster and more, uh, and there's going to be bigger change faster. So I think these folks, just sort of like we talked about, I think millennials being really the digital natives. So, you know, I think these folks are more open to change generally. And that said, there will be components where some areas of their lives where they were, you know, an individual will be more resistant to change than others. Yeah, I, I have noticed that people generally speaking are resistant to change, yes. uh, uh, particularly change for the better. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very hard thing for people to embrace. And when you were talking earlier, you were talking about the importance of, I, I'll call it winning the minds of people that it's not just, this is what we're doing. It's, this is why we're doing it. This is why it's important. We're doing it. This is the expectation and, you know, et cetera. How does training play a part? Yeah. So I think training plays a part in several ways. Number one, our, once we understand the core skills and mindsets of effective change leadership, which we know what those things are, and many of them are trainable, <laughs> these are learnable skills and learnable mindsets, are we actually training people inside our, inside our organizations to be more effective leaders of change? Are we supporting our leaders and managers in that way? And are we training our employees to be responsive to change? So are we training them to be agile, resilient, growth-oriented? Right. And are we looking for all of those artifacts as training leaders that might be incongruent with the messages we're sending through our training? So if we say we need you to be growth oriented and agile and resilient, and we're going to give you all this training to support your development in that area, yet other things inside the organization do not support resilience or agility, um, they're very rigid processes, for example, then that's going to be problematic. But we can support leaders to lead change effectively through teaching communication, through teaching power mapping inside the organization and understanding stakeholders, through teaching them to see resistance in a different way, to understand the different types of resistance and how to overcome them, to teach them to see the psychological triggers that make change hard and to be able to mitigate or minimize the impact of those psychological triggers. So I think there's huge opportunity for training, learning, and development in this coming wave of workplace changes to enable our organizations to thrive and grow and not break amidst change, right? I mentioned this change fatigue is very quickly becoming change revolt. And while a lot of these changes are good and necessary, they can break organizations if we don't have the right infrastructure and supports in place. You know, when you sit there and you talk about change revolt, I think of all these organizations that want to bring their employees back to the workplace yeah. and the employees literally saying no. In some degree, um, I think it's because right now employees have a leverage in the workplace because jobs are ample. 
and being able to change is is there and that may shift if if the, the workplace changes having said that i do think that employees are much more willing to vocalize themselves and in part generationally um, in the workplace when they're unhappy and i think it should be embraced as a good thing because people that are upset resentful and just chew it and don't right. ever express it um, they will negatively impact the organization and eventually will leave so it's healthier to have a meaningful conversation Yes. Uh, one of the things that I work with leaders on all the time is to flip their perception of resistance. Because as long as resistance is overt, we can do something about it, right? We can yeah. see it, we can learn from it, we can, we might actually, there, there are oftentimes great benefits to resistance. If we think about it, like strength training at the gym, right? We, resistance can make our ideas stronger can make our organization stronger. What we don't want is covert resistance, that sort of under the gossipy, the intentional undermining, the sabotage. I mean, we, we see yeah. a lot of that in organizations. I, I was telling a story the other day of an organization, this was several years ago now, they, the employees had experienced so much change and so much um, like a, a religion morale was awful. And a whole bunch of new employees came in <laughs> as part of a new leadership change. And there were people urinating in the stairwells. That was their way to express their frustration, anger, resentment. So there were so many things that the, the leadership team there could have done before it got to that point. That's an example of change revolt. That is covert. I mean, it, it is very overt resistance in a way, but it's not productive resistance, right? And so we want to prevent that. And if we can flip our mindset about resistance where we welcome it and we don't squelch it. I was talking with a, a C-suite leader yesterday who was telling me that in her company, they just hired a head of employee activism. I mean, how cool is that? I don't know exactly what this person's job is gonna be yet and, and how that's all gonna play out. But you know, that to me is saying we're not squelching the Gen Zers coming in who are demanding that we behave more environmentally responsibly or that we have greater equity or diversity amongst our senior leaders or board or whatever, right? They're, they're actually facilitating that and, and facilitating productive, healthy conversations inside the organization. So we're playing the time thing a little, little long here, but I have one question before we get into your company, all those good things. I want to talk about pre-change. I want to talk okay. about what do companies do before they make a decision to change, to make change more successful? Ooh. Well, I think getting super clear on the why, right? Because mandates. We were just talking with a um, construction company the other day was talking about new mandates coming down. And I don't think the why was clear. And they probably weren't ready to articulate that why to their team members yet. And so getting super clear on the why, doing as much as possible to anticipate 
which groups inside the organization are probably going to have the kind of overlapping absorptive capacity of different parts of the change first and making sure that we don't overload them. Looking at where um, doing lots of mapping. We have lots of layers of maps that we do inside organizations with clients. So looking for where those formal and informal power centers are and how do we maybe get some folks on board to be change champions to do the ripple effect, right? How do we understand where the biggest triggers are likely to be in terms of threats to status or certainty or autonomy? And how do we plan to mitigate those, right? So there's tons of groundwork that we can lay to sort of get really smart on what's gonna go wrong. And this is where you can bring in some of those what if -er <laughs> resistors, yeah. right? To do that scenario planning. But if you're not clear on the why and you're not clear on your own commitment to the change as the most senior leader in that process, it's not gonna work. Very good point. So uh, Nancy, you're very bright, very clearly, understand this topic well. I'm sure some of our listeners would love to know what does CRS communications do, uh, how they can reach you, et cetera. So tell us a little bit about your company. Yeah, so CSR communications works with socially conscious businesses and mission-driven organizations to achieve their next big initiative to rapidly expand their impact. And we do that through strategy, transformation, and development, through key messages and communication, and through re-energizing change journeys, right? Because so many times change is a de-energizing thing inside organizations. And so if folks are curious to learn more, they can find us at csrcommunications.com, or I'm very active on LinkedIn, Nancy A. Murphy, and I love to connect with people there. That's fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit more about the type of customers? You talked about socially conscious, but are they, you, do you work, you know, hundred and less, hundred to a thousand, what, what, what mm, you know, or all, yeah. I mean, some people do work with all. Yeah. I would say our sweet spot, well, we've worked with global companies and global NGOs and on things from you know, eliminating single-use plastics or incorporating more sustainable business practices generally to um, helping them see the artifacts getting in the way of their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, right? Um, to board development or strategy for foundations and nonprofits that are kind of at that mid to large size. For smaller organizations, we have a lot of free tools on our website and we have, we spread the word and share our expertise through things like podcasts and webinars. So I certainly encourage those organizations to reach out to us because we can provide a lot of tools and tips for free to organizations. Hoping that have they grow content. so that you can then help them for, for fee. Yeah, or <laughs> that's we get that's the change we want in the world. So that's, 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 that's okay. I'm good yeah. with that. <laughs> so I know you have an offer for our listeners and I'd love to have you share that. Yeah, well, again, a, a free offer for those who um, are maybe early on their entrepreneurial journey or want to learn how to be a more effective internal change agent. We have something called InGenius, which are weekly actionable gems for influential entrepreneurs. They're tips, tools, and techniques for leading change, all consumable in two minutes or less. 
because who has time for more than that these days? So you can sign up on our website at csrcommunications.com forward slash weekly. Very nice offer. Thank you. And I love the two minutes or less. It's kind of cool. Um, Nancy, as you know, and our listeners all know, if you had one tip to share with our audience, what would that one tip be? Mm. I would say that remember starting change with grand gestures and bold proclamations can be easy, but it's the small strategic sustained action that makes organizational change stick. So how are you going to be that leader of small strategic sustained action to make your organizational change stick? Really great, insightful point. Um, Nancy, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show. I want to thank all my listeners. Without you, for sure, this show wouldn't be possible. And of course, I want to thank the C-Suite TV and radio uh, for, their, for their support. Everyone have a great day. And again, thank you, Nancy. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Tortal Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Tortal makes effective training easier. Just go to tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. That's tortal.net, T-O-R-T-A-L, tortal.net. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.